Hello and welcome to the Football Outsiders live stream and podcast for Thursday, March 2nd, 2023, live from two hotel rooms in Indianapolis. I am Aaron Schatz, Editor-in-Chief of Football Outsiders, joined as always by Mike Tanier of Football Outsiders. We are at the Combine in Indianapolis. One of our very close colleagues is watching this with a group from a performance academy with some of the top 20 prospects in this draft. And the joke is they're not watching it in the stadium, except for the guys who are there working out currently. The rest of them are watching it on television from a, from a basement of one of the hotels here. So, so like I'm going over there, but like, it's going to be the worst seat in the house. The people who know are watching it on television like you guys are at home. Well, you can tell in part because each year more and more coaching staffs don't even come here. It's interesting because, first of all, the combine hasn't really happened yet. They moved some things around this year. And so today is the first right. day of actual workouts. That's correct. So very little has happened. I'm watching and uh, Kalijah Clancy is like blowing it up right now. And a couple other defensive tackles are blowing it up right now. But there's always a little bit of a, a misconception. We get here and do a ton of interviews before the guys work out. So all the news about 40 times and things like that happen after we've already talked to these guys. So there's always a little bit of a lag. In, in, <laughs> Brian. Uh, right. We've talked little, to them and teams have talked to them. Yes. But we in the media have talked to all of the guys who are running right now. And in many cases, file stories. You can see there's a story uh, at Football Outsiders right now about a couple of the ball players. But when we do that, we don't know what they ran. And then they run it later. And sometimes you're almost hoping, like, I hope the guy I, I didn't just talk about run doesn't run like a six foot six, a six three forty or something like that, you know. The big story is Jalen Carter. So we should talk a little bit about Jalen Carter from Georgia. Now, this is one of the top prospects in the draft, pass rushing defensive tackle, who the day he was supposed to meet with the media, the story comes out that he is wanted for arrest in conjunction with what apparently yeah. is drag racing that resulted in the death of a Georgia player. Yes. Yes. Uh, we were at the podium area and he was about T minus 30 minutes from talking when the news started to disseminate among the media. Like, you know, I think, I think the story got posted in Atlanta journal constitution in the morning. Um, but a lot of us don't get up and like, we don't, you know, we're racing over there. Uh, interview started at like 8 a.m. So we're sitting there and like, what happened? What's going on? And it was a very funny scene because we are, we wound up surrounding a podium that was like an empty podium waiting for an official confirmation that Jalen Carter was not going to speak. Um, and some of the older sports writers were like laughing at us. Like, why are you waiting here? It's like, I, I am waiting here until they tell me he is not coming. Um, and, and they eventually did. But the, the story is he's back. He is back here in Indianapolis. And I've heard conflicting reports of whether he's going to, it sounds like he's going to be talking to teams over the next couple of days. He will not do a media interview, but he's going to go in there and do his team interviews over the next few days. Yeah. And I mean, he'll do his workouts too. And, and, you know, he'll impress everybody. And I mean, I think, look, we're not lawyers and a lot is going to come out about this story in the next yeah. couple of months before the draft, right? I mean, this is, remember the Laramie Tensile bong thing that happened the night of the draft? Like, at least this has two months to unfold. 
um, right. and for everyone to figure out what happened. But, you know, it's possible that he has nothing to do with the deaths of these people, but he probably lied to police about whether they were drag racing. And so there's a question of like, how seriously will teams take that? But I mean, you know how it is in the NFL. The more talented you are, the more of a stomach teams have for putting up with things that have happened to you off the field. Right. And what they're going to be looking for, um, I, I think part of it is making sure that his legals are not going to come back to haunt him. And if this is part of some sort of pattern of behavior, there were whispers out there about character concerns going into this. I don't know how character concerns and drag racing intersect. That, that's like a that's not a normal intersection of things that happen when you're talking about a ball player. But there is there are two vectors. One is that we find out his involvement is far greater than even the recent reports have uh, expected. That there's even a bigger issue of how close he was to these fatalities. I don't think that's going to happen, but that's one like possibility. The likelihood is he's going to, the next six weeks, hold himself accountable for lying to the authorities, You know, hold himself accountable to, for the reckless driving or whatever else. And six weeks from now, this will have almost blown over from an NFL standpoint. There's a very good chance that they're going to come into this. And I, I, I don't want to trivialize, I mean, people died during this, but um, that the NFL is going to look at it and say, Jalen Carter was, was compartmentalized from that. That's not who we think this person is. This is a young man who was stupid and scared during a frightening situation and lied to protect himself in an immature way in the moment. And they're still going to go out there with a the top five pick and select them. I mean, I, you know, we don't know what will happen in the future, but that is, I think, the more likely scenario. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's the biggest possibility. And you know what it does? It adds another layer of flux to the whole Bears, Texans, uh, uh, Colts scenario where you've got a guy who would normally be a top three, a top four. The Bears potentially would be using him as sort of a uh, – a, a chip to play and say, hey, you know, we, we're not going to trade the first overall pick because we love Jalen Carter. There's like a little bit of a of a wobbliness to that storyline now, where you know, if you if you're if you're Nick Casario, if you're uh, 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 whoever the guy is who runs the Colts, I'm drawing a blank now. Um, Ballard, you're like you're you're yep. trading this pick. You're not you're not taking Jalen Carter right now. Maybe it'll be different in a couple of weeks, but that's another like variable that gets added into this. I mean, he was being talked about as possibly the one, the number one pick. Yes. There were mock drafts that had him going first. Right. And, you know, you, we said it before. Uh, that's the mock draft you write if you are not making trades in your mock draft. Right, right. I mean, in reality, the fact is a quarterback is going first. Yes. And if it's the Texans, it's very clear word on the street. With the Texans, it's going to be Bryce Young. That's what I'm hearing. Well, that's really it's really interesting. We talked a little bit to Greg Cosell last night about the quarterbacks, and yes. I mean, he was glowing about Bryce Young, except for the fact that Bryce Young is just tremendously small, and not not just height wise, but weight wise, that he's just a really tiny guy for a football yeah. player and there's like real questions about how long you can survive at the quarterback position if you're under 200 pounds right he is smol small yeah the number was 169 pounds that was getting thrown around now when he weighs in 
they will find a way to get him at around 190 guaranteed you know he he will he will eat the continental breakfast three times before he steps on the scale um but if he really plays at 170 pounds that is a concern and if you are the Houston Texans and you love him both for his tape and his intangibles i get that uh and i was talking to some some Texans re- uh reporters you have to build with the assumption that you are dealing with an under six foot, under 180 pound guy, and you have to build the rest of your offense accordingly. That starts with center and guard to do some of the things that uh, the Saints had to do with Drew Brees to make sure that it was it was unbelievable talent in the middle of the uh, in the middle of the field to protect him in that way and to make sure that he's able to move around and, and see what he needs to do to throw downfield. Yeah, I mean, like we were talking about him compared to Kyler Murray, and Kyler Murray is like 210. Yes. Like Kyler Murray may be short, but he's bulky. Right, right. He's well-built. Russell Wilson was and is well-built and all the success he had. We'll see what Bryce Young comes in at, um, but I think it's a moot point, not from an evaluation standpoint, because I have a concern. I'm wiffle-waffling whether to put him or Stroud number one. I've talked to a couple of people who have Stroud number one among quarterbacks. I have Will Anderson yeah. number one overall. Um, but I think it's a moot point because if the Texans are sitting at number two, they're going to take him. I guess the question becomes, do, do the Colts leapfrog in the name of getting Stroud? Yeah. Brian points out in the comments that no quarterback under 200 pounds has started 50 games in the 21st century. Jeff Garcia was 200. Wow. Aaron Brooks and Kirk Cousins were 205. And there's also the question there, here's there's there's Bryce Young has been working on putting out a weight for three months. Wait. And there's Bryce Young in week 15 after 14 weeks of an NFL season. Wait. That's right. I mean, they're not the same thing. That's absolutely right. I'm guessing Kirk Cousins 205 was actually a natural 205. He has gotten, you know, he's gotten more substantial as a dude. I don't know if Bryce Young can do that. It, you saw? Did you see the video of him walking in yesterday? Uh, I did not. I saw a picture of it, but not a video. I don't know who he was walking next to, but it was it was almost a, a malpractice of justice to have him walking next to this person. He uh, he should be he should be walking with like a Chihuahua and a Shih Tzu everywhere he goes to make himself look bigger. Um. Stroud, I Greg Cosell liked Stroud also, you know, not yeah. tremendously. He doesn't feel like this is a great year for quarterback. Right. Uh, he was in agreement with you about Levis. Yep. That he thinks <laughs> Levis is like a third round pick and he doesn't understand why people are talking about him near the top of the first round. Yep. And uh, Doug uh, Farrar, our good friend who runs uh, USA Today uh, Touchdown Wire, likes Stroud a lot. I've been looking at Stroud some more. I, I was a little bit behind on my Stroud study. And I see what, what folks are seeing about him, the combination of elements there uh, that he brings to the table. And and I, I see some elements of a almost like a second or third year Ben Roethlisberger in his game. I'm not kidding there. Like uh, he doesn't have that quite that arm, but in terms of the combination of the, the size, uh, the early Roethlisberger running ability, um, and the ability to to quickly distribute the ball 10 to 20 yards on time, on target, combination of velocity and touch. Very impressed by all these things. I made it a point to watch him against uh, uh, programs like Georgia 
um, and, and the toughest competition that he had. So I wasn't watching, you know, Ohio State, you know, clobber, uh, whatever, bottom Indiana. of the Rutgers, Indiana, exactly. Um, and he's he is impressive. So I am I am kind of leaning towards putting Stroud there. But Greg is obviously right. Greg knows this stuff. He, this is not a good quarterback class. And he was not complimentary of, uh, of Anthony Richardson either. No, he, he Anthony Richardson, he felt like is just he said, you know, that throwing the ball hard and running fast are not quarterback traits. Right. Reading right. defenses, adjusting things at the line, like reading coverages, touch. You know, those sound a lot more like what Greg thinks of as quarterback traits. And Richardson, yeah. he feels like is just a strong arm and a fast guy who doesn't necessarily know how to play quarterback. And everyone thinks because of Josh Allen that they can turn that guy into a stud. Right. Right. And 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 we talked a little bit like Malik Willis last year. Malik Willis was probably a great example of the look at his size, look at him run and projecting it way out over the mountain up and up the hill and down the, off, off the cliff in terms of his actual readiness for the NFL um, and the translatable level of those skills from Liberty up to what he had to do at the NFL versus what some of us were saying in the media where I kept, I kept mocking Willis in the first round. I kept doing it. Yeah, I'm really curious then what happens now with Levis and Richardson, because from an analytical an analytical perspective, it's so important to hit on a rookie quarterback. Yeah. And there are so many teams that need quarterbacks this year that you reach. You reach for guys who you don't think are necessarily first round picks because they all have that chance and you have to take that <laughs> chance. But last year, no one did it. Last year, no one reached for Willis. They let him fall into the third round. And no one reached for Ritter either. And I think Pickett was a reach to a degree. Um, and I feel like Levis is going to be that Pickett where it's like, well, you know, uh, big program guy, big conference guy, big guy. And they're going and, and to heap up all the intangibles that I don't see and I don't think are real. And some team is going to go there. And I, it could go either way with Richardson too. I don't know. But I have a feeling because of the scarcity at quarterback, because because of the unique situation the Colts are in, the unique situation the Panthers are in, the unique situation where the Raiders are in, these uh, Washington commanders, they can't just go get the veteran of the month because they've been doing that for the last couple of years. Yes, these are and because a lot them. of those veterans of the month are retiring at this point. Right, they are retiring. Well, are, they proven, are they proven that they're, you know, no one wants Wentz. No one wants yes. Ryan. Right, no one wants Wentz. No one wants Darnold. No one wants Ryan. You can't go to this well. You can't go to the fans anymore with this well. You can't go to the owner, I think, at this point as a GM with that well. So you have to come back with a pelt. And Levis is going to be a pelt. Richardson's going to be a pelt. I frankly think Herndon Hooker, if he was healthy and if he wasn't, uh, you know, 36 years old already, I'm kidding. He's, I believe he's 25. I think he would be better than Levis or Richardson. You have to take into account an ACL tear and you have to take into the account that. Yeah, you're looking at a, a, an older uh, prospect in, in 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 Hooker, but I look at him as as like a Ryan Tannehill type of quarterback. And in this draft, a Ryan Tannehill type of quarterback, a young Tannehill, you take that and run because you might not get anything else. Yeah, it, it it's interesting. The whole quarterback market is interesting. We, we you know we were talking a little bit at dinner last night about uh, you know the quarterback market. Uh, 
teams down here are being really honest about talking to Derek Carr because they can, because he's not currently under contract. Uh, nobody is talking about any other quarterbacks other than the ones that are currently on their rosters. But, um, you know, there's there's a lot of, you know, nobody quite knows what Aaron Rodgers is going to do. Uh, there's oh, a lot of talk about God, what the Ravens are trying to figure out with Lamar Jackson. And, you know, I talked to somebody today who said absolutely Giants are going to tag Daniel Jones. He was like, if you overpay Saquon Barkley and tag Daniel Jones, that is so much cheaper. That is so much cheaper than overpaying Daniel Jones and tagging Saquon Barkley. Right. If they really want to keep both of them, like let's assume that they really want to keep both of them. Mm-hmm. Like if you give Jones a real contract, maybe you're paying him 42 million and it's over multiple years. So what happens if this year was a mirage? Now you're stuck with it. Um, whereas if you overpay Saquon, you know, maybe that's two or 3 million over. Yeah. But then it's you like still much, have to, it's much easier to overpay Saquon than to overpay. You still have to budget in the quarterback salary, even if Jones yeah. goes bust. But if you franchise him, that's only one year of Jones. But my impression on what Sheen is doing with Jones is he really is trying to negotiate it in and get it around 35 mil a year. You you were talking about Saquon. You still have the budget for the quarterback the following year if Jones goes bust and you overpay Saquon. Then you're still in a place where it's like, well, I guess you go to the rookie pool the following year. It, it, it's still not a, you know, it, it's still not an ideal plan. No, I mean, I would let Saquon leave, honestly. Right. But the, the person who I was speaking to, uh, you know, felt uh, it was a team person and they felt that, like, that's what the Giants want to do. And if the Giants start from the position of that's what we want to do, that it just makes way more sense to tag Jones. Yeah, I have a feeling that Sheen, given his druthers, would tag Jones and let Barkley walk. Yeah. But, but I think at the Mara level. I think that there felt like there was a vindication at the ownership level that Daniel Jones was the guy they at their level thought he was going to be last year. And so the general manager is, is, is tightroping a little bit to try and create a manageable contract for Jones that does put them in a position. If he does continue having success that, that they can build around him while at the same time, not going in those loopy off the deep end numbers that I think people were throwing around about a week and a half ago. And um, as far as Lamar Jackson goes, uh, Eric Costa today made some waves by saying what is the honest truth, which is that they really haven't hit on their wide receiver picks as much as they'd like to. Right. And Rashad Bateman took offense to this. But, you know, Rashad Bateman is a good player, but he has not lived up to expectations, in part because of health, which, you know, may not be his fault. But, it you know, that's reality. Right. Right, and uh, taking personal umbrage at things like that when you—he was a first-round pick. He—he he had a lot of uh, juice behind him, and the production has not been there. The health has not been there. They have not hit. I think they hit to a degree with Marquise Brown, but even that was sort of a, an asterisk and a thing where I understand why they decided. Well, it made more sense to move and 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 get younger and get cheaper at that position. Yeah, and I mean, they. Uh, you know, they have spent less on wide receivers than other teams, but they have mm-hmm. spent draft capital on it. Yes. I mean, they did use first round picks on Brown and Bateman. 
The other interesting thing to talk about is uh, these player team report cards that came out yesterday. <laughs> yes. In which yes. we learned that the Arizona Cardinals charge players for dinner. Imagine J.J. Watt staying late to do some film work, lift some more weights, maybe take a couple phone calls for the 15 million charities he's in. J.J. Watt going in and grabbing uh, some chicken fingers and fries and then saying, J.J., that'll be $11.36. It's ridiculous. Imagine that. Absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> it was also surprising um, that the Chiefs were so low. Like, I think we all expected Arizona and Washington to be at the bottom. Right. I didn't expect the Chiefs to be so low. No. And I'm all, I'm a little surprised the Patriots were pretty low because I've always Robert Kraft really um, spoils the players, but apparently yeah. he does not. Yeah, that's odd. Um, and so much of this bubbles under the surface of what would ever get out to us. Yes. Well, that's why the NFLPA released this is because they yeah. wanted people to know. I mean, my hope, I think their hope is that some of this shames teams into improving things. If they write that the Patriots, that it's a problem that the Patriots do not provide childcare at the facility, that they'll shame the Patriots into providing childcare at the facility. And if there are rats in Jacksonville, they'll shame Jacksonville into making sure there aren't rats anymore. I can't wait for Mike Patricia's daycare center. <laughs> that's, that's a fabulous opportunity for some young kids to walk around with pencils behind their ears and emulate the best. Um, but I believe, kidding aside, you can shame Robert Kraft into doing these things, that he wants to be marquee and that he wants to provide these things. He will do it. I think that the cons want to want to spend, want to be marquee. Dan Snyder will make things worse. Dan Snyder watched, read that report card and said, oh, our showers don't work right? Rip them out. So, uh, but like, I think it's a net positive around the league that most of the teams will look at this and try to address it in a way. Everything should be first class for the NFL. Everything yes. should be first. That includes the playing surfaces, which is another issue, but that's totally sidetracked from this. And I know the, for the, a fact that the, the, the commander's facilities are comically terrible. Um, you know, and I've heard it from players. I've actually, you know, I've been in the visiting locker room trying to interview Aaron Rodgers and like, there's like debris under my feet. Like the shoulder pads of the offensive linemen are screwed under my feet because it's so tight and so narrow. And it's so much like a high school locker room. And I couldn't believe like, I am talking to Aaron Rodgers right now. And this is what they expect him to change in, you know? Yeah. So the, the, that's how bad it is in some of these facilities. The, the team that surprised me, I said the chiefs, the other team that surprised me in the other direction was the Raiders. The Raiders okay. were like third. If you had said to me before you released these, the last, the, the bottom three teams are Arizona, Washington, and the Raiders, I would have been like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But the Raiders <laughs> are actually near right. the top. Despite the fact that Mark Davis has cash flow issues, he apparently does spend on making things very nice for his players. Right. Now, part of it is it's probably all new facilities. I had heard in the past that the, uh, the facilities in Oakland were bad. Yes. Uh, you know, it the was Coliseum old, it was, was old... bad. I know. We know that. Yeah. And I would hear that. So what might happen there is that they move 
and the players who were there for a couple of years saw them move from those into these newer ones and got and, and were excited and and enervated by that and that results in that but still good for him i'm yeah, guessing the Raiders the also did, were high i think they did well in things like nutrition and travel which okay. aren't necessarily about the new facilities that is interesting that that comes down to sometimes having travel secondary sec- secretaries who have a budget and are given the opportunity to do it and know how to do it and that a lot of times is from an ownership level just giving a damn yeah, which, which I would not have really expected the Raiders to do well in, but they did, and and good on good on them for it, right? It's 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 somebody running it's somebody running that that Al appointed, uh, you know, twenty seven years ago, and is still doing the job. Now I, I wonder how much this is going to actually affect where players saw. I still think players, you know, they think who's giving me the largest contract is number one, two, and three in their mind. Yes. And winning is four. And this stuff yeah. is probably five. Right. And sometimes things like, uh, is it Buffalo or is it Miami is like five and this is six. Yeah. I was going to say one of the categories that was not included in these player team report cards was quality of nightlife. <laughs> Night, nightlife and weather well then houston i mean, no, dis- I mean no disrespect to buffalo lord knows the nightlife is not great in foxborough <laughs> <laughs> but there is a difference between living in miami or los angeles and live or versus living in buffalo or green bay or foxborough absolutely. for that matter absolutely and you'll see like the younger dudes that and, and weather has an impact too i mean nobody wants to be under two feet of snow the guys who go up to buffalo are doing it for a ring or doing it be- because that that's what they grew up with or whatever. All right. Uh, I, I'm sure we can wait for Mike to come back, but Mike needs to get over to the stadium anyway. So I think I'm actually going to wrap up what hopefully turns into a reasonably listenable podcast episode. God, we'll have to do some editing on it, but we'll be back next week to talk about defensive free agency before free agency starts. So back to 1 p.m. Eastern on Thursday. And uh, otherwise, I'm going to wrap things up from here. For Mike Tanier, I'm Aaron Schatz, and we will talk to you next week on the Football Outsiders live stream.